Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, November the 19th, and we gather around the inspired and true Word of God, and we pray. We pray Psalm 136, for today is the last day of the Psalms for the week because, well, we need to pray because on Monday, we'll be studying Song of Songs uh, with Dr. Christopher Mitchell, who wrote the commentary on the Song of Songs, which, if you know anything about it, that probably needs our prayers. So keep the head in your prayers over the weekend, but right now we pray and we see Christ as we continue to look at the Psalms, and Psalm 136 is a very clear understanding of its emphasis, which is to give thanks for his love endures forever. We'll dig into it this morning for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome Pastor Bill Swirla, who said to say that he is living the retired life from Parish Ministry in Port Angeles, Washington. Uh, Pastor Swirla, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, you, you, are, you are my first attempt at uh, anything broadcast uh, since I moved to the woods, so <laughs> I'm a little bit bandwidth challenged here, but it's a pleasure to be here. Pastor, this is our first time together on Dice Wrong Word, but you've been on KFU for many, many, many years. But if you could introduce yourself and uh, well, just tell us about yourself before we begin. Well, I, uh, I was the pastor of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights in Southern California for 30 years. And I've recently retired from, the way I put it, I retired from congregational ministry. I am still on the clergy roster of the Missouri Synod and uh, still uh, willing, able, and uh, whatnot to serve. But uh, at the moment, uh, my wife and I uh, moved up to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we we kind of went from drought to drenched, you know, so we, we've gone from no rain to when will it stop raining. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Um, I uh, have a couple of podcast interests. Uh, I used to do the God Whispers, as many people know, and uh, I've been doing a, a movie podcast with my good friend Ted Geese up in Canada, uh, and uh, that's a, that's on our moving hiatus at the moment. But uh, hope to get back to it. So I re- I appreciate this this uh, this little opportunity at uh, internet broadcasting because uh, I have to do some minor modifications in how we do business due to my uh, somewhat compromised internet bandwidth uh, living in the wild, but. Uh, but we're enjoying life uh, initially in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, I'm setting up my wood shop, uh, baking bread, and uh, getting the remnants of my library back on the shelf again. Sounds great. I appreciate the time. Actually, we tried to have you on last spring, but you told me, I remember this was verbatim, you told me, I will only be about 80% swirla, and something <laughs> happened that you weren't able to be with us John recovery from a heart heart surgery, if I'm correct. How were you doing that, with that? That is correct. We we uh, 
uh, back in, in late April, early May, uh, while we were in the midst of selling our house, uh, I ended up in the hospital and ended up uh, with a quadruple bypass. Uh, they went, they just went for the home run. Why waste your time with stents or, you know, this, just quadruple bypass. And uh, fortunately, thanks be to God, did not have a heart attack. Uh, probably was near one or courting one or on the threshold of one, but uh, didn't have one, which makes recovery a lot faster because, you know, the heart's still okay. And uh, so, yeah, spent the summer kind of in recovery and rehab mode. And that's when I wrote you and said, yeah, happy to do this show, but but uh, not exactly 100% here. But I'm not sure I'm 100% today either, but, but I figure we may as well do this sooner or later. So... But uh, by the grace of God, I'm upright and taking in food and uh, was able to uh, execute the move, which was uh, physically demanding in and of itself. So um, I feel very grateful to uh, be here today. Well, it's a joy to have you. So, Pastor, as we dig into the Word of God today, can you begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father in heaven, you are good and you are gracious and your steadfast love endures forever. We ask your blessing as we pray the Psalms together with the inspired psalmist, and we join your people in praise and thanksgiving for the works you have done, the works of creation, the work of redemption, uh, those works that have brought us to you and that uh, sustain us in faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm going to take a break here, Pastor. Is there any way you can turn down your volume or are you looking good on your end? It seems a little hot on my end. Okay. Uh, let me, let me see what I can do. I'm kind of limited in controls here, but, uh, this is, yeah, not, me too. Yeah. This is not like, um, having my, see right now when you're talking, that's yeah. all right. Oh, okay. Then I'm yeah. just going to make it a matter of distance from the microphone. Um, I have a habit of yeah, kissing the. I have a habit of kissing the microphone from my condenser mics that I have on my soundboard. Um, but this is a USB okay. microphone, and it tends to be uh, very dependent on how close you are. So if this is a good distance, I can maintain this distance just fine. Perfect. Right there is right there is perfect. All right, so, that's good. perfect. So let's. Uh, all right, here we go. Um, I'll wait three seconds, then I'll get to the next. All right. So, Pastor, as we looking at Psalm 136, how do you want to introduce this themes or ideas or backgrounds you want to start us with today? Well, whenever I look at the Psalms, one of the first things I look for is the ascription, which is very typically verse one, which is why sometimes the versifications don't line up because the Psalm actually begins with verse two. Uh, you know, you have something like a Psalm of David or dedicated to so-and-so to be sung to the tune of the morning lark or whatever. Uh, that's the verse one. This one doesn't have one. So this, this one is absent any author. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, we don't know what tune to sing it to, and we don't know the occasion for which it is written. Um, however, it is so structured. Uh, it, it has what, what I call liturgical structure. Uh, the Psalms are always poetic, so they're always following the kind of the contours of Hebrew poetry with, they don't rhyme with sound, they rhyme with meaning. So you have repetitive phrases two and three times over. You have plenty of that. But the thing you notice right away is this cadence, this, this repetitive 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Every single verse, for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, that tells me this is a liturgical psalm. This, this is a psalm that is intended for corporate worship. Uh, uh, you know, whenever you see this in the Bible, you see repetitive phrases that think liturgy because liturgy has that sort of that repetitive, deep structure to it, uh, which makes it very, there's a rhythm. When, when a group of people are praying the psalm out loud, there's a rhythm. Uh, this is one of those psalms where you really want to do it antiphonally by half verse. So, you know, the leader says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the people say, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. And the people say, for his steadfast love endures forever. The, as this goes on, and it goes on for a number of verses, and that's all the people say for his steadfast love endures forever. That drills that concept deeply into their minds and hearts, for one thing. And it just starts to ring. You don't have to look in the book. You know what your line is, right? You, after three verses, you know what you're going to say. His steadfast love endures forever. Uh, it's really a remarkable psalm for, for corporate worship. And when it's done antiphonally like that, with a leader chanting or speaking, the first half of the verse, and the people all together with this, this repetitive antiphon, his love endures forever. Uh, it's a very powerful psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And so, Pastor, as we look at this, uh, clearly we could do this in the worship service, which now I'm thinking I need to add this, obviously when we have it come up in the lectionary and so forth. Are there other times you've seen a psalm like this be used or maybe in a personal devotion or in general? Um, how would you use this psalm? Any thoughts? Well, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and this is a Thanksgiving psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That's the theme of this psalm. And the basis for that is his steadfast love endures forever. So uh, occasional services of Thanksgiving uh, would be very, very appropriate. Um, Psalms are always included in morning and evening prayer, matins and vespers. Uh, so, you know, where the occasion is an occasion of Thanksgiving, this is very appropriate. This is a general use psalm. Uh, you know, in other words, there's no specific occasion upon which it's written. It's not like the confessional psalms, the psalms of repentance or the psalms of lament, you know, which they have their own little category and niche. But uh, this one, this one runs the gamut. And uh, so I would say that, that in terms of usage, uh, anytime, anywhere, any place, <laughs> but it is especially, as I said, it's especially <laughs> good for corporate, uh, cor corporate worship. It, 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 in my experience, it lacks the power when you're praying this by yourself. Now, certainly, you're, I, mean, I would encourage you to pray this on your own, too. But there is something about having at least two or three gathered together praying the psalm that, that gives it a lot of momentum. So, Pastor, how about we dig in to this wonderful psalm? Now I'm I'm trying to trying to think of how to do this on the program because you're like, oh, we could do it back and forth. I'm just gonna go a few verses at a time. There's kind of a thematic uh, uh, um, verses that I found uh, in one of my commentaries I read on this, and so we'll just go through a few at a time and then dig in. Obviously, we know what the main theme is because 26 times. It says his steadfast love endures forever, but yet each of the verses definitely has some uh, points that we want to uh, look at this morning. So I think I'm ready. You ready? 
why don't we take uh, one to three and just just talk about that quickly, and then we can take take groupings because this really is a stanzified uh, psalm. It has dis discrete stanzas to it. Awesome. Well, let's begin. Reminder to our listeners: we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I should say also praying. Uh, psalm one hundred and thirty-six, the first three verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. So we know the basics, give thanks, his love endures forever, but there's definitely some repeating with some, you know, a little bit differences here. How would you describe those first three? Well, there, there are a couple of things that I note. First, um, you have a, it's a threefold address or an exhortation, really, give thanks. So it's addressing the congregation. But typical of whenever God is spoken of in the Old Testament, you often get a, a threefold repetition. So you have give thanks to the Lord, in this case, to Yahweh. So it's the, it's the all capital Lord, not the Adonai, uh, but, but the covenant name of God. Yeah. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. So, so it's piled it on three times, which is very typical when addressing God. Uh, the second thing to note is this, this word, steadfast love, in the ESV, uh, just simply love in the NIV. The Hebrew word is chesed, which is a great word. You have to kind of gargle when you say it, chesed, you know, uh, which is, uh, that's his covenant love. That is, that is the love with which he loves on the basis of his promise. Uh, embraced in that is also his grace, his mercy, his, his love, his forgiveness. Um, and as we as, as Christian readers and those praying this as Christians fully understand the, the fulfillment of his chesed in, uh, in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, that God uh, so loved the world in this manner that he sent his son. And so that is, Christ is God's chesed incarnate and his chesed in action. So, you you know, it, it's, it's Christological in that sense too, but steadfast love is covenant love. It's love, not, it's not a feeling. It's love based on a promise and it, it, it endures forever because the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, any distinctions that you found, I found a few things, but I, nothing really concrete on, he starts with, for the Lord is good. Okay, we can understand that. But this is God of God versus Lord of Lords. Is there a distinction or anything you found on, on the way that the psalmist clearly makes a, a difference? God of God, Lord of Lords, any differences there? Not really. Um, I, I think this is this is in that realm of Hebrew poetic where you pile on different ways of saying the same thing. Um, God, of course, is that's deity. Lord is not necessarily deity. Uh, you know, Lord is, and we use that even in our English. You know, you, uh, not so much in American, but but in in British English, you you have the House of Lords. You know, you have. It's an honorific title as well, but I think in this case, it this is just a way of um, of piling on so as to say the same thing in slightly different ways. Uh, we have a tendency to look for nuanced differences, whereas I think in in the mm -hmm. Hebrew mind, uh, they wouldn't 
necessarily think that way. It's like they wouldn't think, oh, now what's the difference between God, Lord, and Yahweh? You know, the answer is none. <laughs> um, there is a notion, however, and it, it does have a passing glance to the fact that Israel always had this temptation to participate in the 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 polytheistic religions of its neighbors and and the the Canaanites of the land and whatnot. And so when God is referred to as the God of gods or the God above all gods or the Lord above all lords, um, it's not giving credence to the existence of other gods. It's just taking note that the God of Israel is the God of all the gods. It's, it's, it's a, it's, there's a polemical edge to it, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's basically saying mm -hmm. that whoever your God may be, Yahweh is greater. Yeah, and so it doesn't doesn't bother to debate the existence of say Baal or Asherah or any of those. It just basically says what whatever you ascribe to them, God is greater. Yahweh is greater. And that's a very helpful distinction as we look at Hebrew poetry and and a lot of the Bible where we can spend forever trying to evaluate one word. And I I admit I I do that. I think a lot of times I'm trying to look smart. Um, when I leave Bible study and say, well, this, this word here is a nuance and blah, 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 blah. Or sometimes we just need to let it be. Like you said, they were, he was clearly, or the author was clearly making a distinction between the multiple gods that were around there because he is the God of all the other gods out there, the Lord of all the other Lords out there. And, and he is above them all. So that's probably just as simple as that. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I, and I, I think, see, because we, we like to kind of like, arm wrestle and, and, and argue, um, the, the, the Psalms and, and this, the, the Hebrew mind doesn't argue. The Hebrew mind just states it category. <laughs> you know, it's just, a, you know, God is, our God is greater than all the other gods. He made the heavens and the earth. He redeems his people. He forgives sins. So it's just, it's, it, it, there's, it's not about proving it. It's just about confessing it, you know, which I find really refreshing because we're, we're, we're very busy about, uh, you know, trying to, trying to basically come up with these irrefutable proofs for everything. And it's, it's hard to irrefutably prove, uh, things that are revealed to you, <laughs> you know, you're, you're dealing with a limited data set here. Uh, but this, these are statements of faith. These are confessions of faith. Uh, they are not, uh, they, these are beyond what reason and observation can get you. So, so that's, that's why they don't argue, you know, for example, the prophets, they don't argue that, that, that idols are, are, uh, you know, nothing. And they're, they, they argue that idols are foolish, you know, to worship mm -hmm. a piece of rock or a piece of wood. That's silly. See? Uh, but but they don't argue like sort of on an ontological basis that that, that these gods don't exist or whatnot. Um, that's not important. It's like that's silly. They're 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 worshiping a created object when they should be worshiping the creator. <laughs> See, so that's that's kind of the vibe of this. And and uh, but but I think these first three verses really set the tone for the whole psalm because uh, praise and thanksgiving rest on two pillars. That is the pillar of creation. God is the creator, the one who made the heavens and the earth, and redemption. He is the one who redeems his people, who brought his people out of Egypt, 
who gave them the promised land, uh, you know, who keeps his word and covenant. And so, so creation and redemption are the two foundational pillars of all praise and thanksgiving. So you don't just have praise songs, you know, you praise God for he made the heavens and the earth for he redeems his people, you see. And, and those two then are the, the, the resting points on, on all worship, all, all, uh, praise and thanksgiving and whatever is, is resting on, on creation and redemption and the recitation of those works of God. So let's hear more about this creation that you said, uh, verses four through nine is what I was looking at reading yeah. and yeah. speaking about the creator God to him alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever to him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever to him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever to him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever the sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever the moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever as you said we our thanksgiving and the steadfast love of the lord stands on two pillars and the first is creation so what does it tell us about creation in these verses well, yeah, first of all, it tells us that the creation is an act of love, right? And, and it's, it, it is the first among God's great wonders. That's why creation is, is at the beginning, in the beginning, you know, of the Torah, of, of, in Genesis, you know, the revelation of God begins with the creation, and it's an act of love. It's an act of his chesed. His steadfast love endures forever. How do we know this? Look at the creation. Look at Look at the, uh, you know, the, the heavens, look at the lights, look at the sun, the moon, the stars. I find it kind of interesting that, that the, uh, the psalmist kind of ends there. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get to the, the, the filling parts of, of Genesis 1, where the sky is filled with birds and the sea with fish and the land with animals and finally man. Uh, but he doesn't get to, to that, that place, uh, but instead he's uh, content to look at the, the, the expanse of the earth, uh, the, the heavens above, the great lights, the sun, the moon, the stars, and to revel in that and, and in their, 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 their movement and their permanence. He, he, sees, uh, he sees God's chesed in action, God's, God's steadfast love in action, even in the heavenly bodies. That's interesting for us to think about with creation being an act of love, because we often will go into details for me in my confirmation class. We always go through Genesis one through three as the foundation, like you said, and that's something I have to, to think about is how do I teach that, that this is not just, wow, look how intricately ordered everything is. Um, but to begin with an understanding of this is a, a sign of God's love. Now I'm trying to think. Why do we not usually think of it that way? I, I guess I'm a little bit at a loss for that one, but any other thoughts on creation being love and why that's so important for us as we look at the scriptures? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's a great, you, you made a good observation. We don't think of it that way. And, and I think um, it's in part because we are conditioned to think of creation 
in in more of a, a, a scientific way, uh, you know, that is we're interested in how it works and how it started and we debate origins and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, when the Bible is much more concerned with the relational aspect, uh, you know, Genesis one, Genesis one and two and three uh, are very relational. Uh, in that, what is the relationship between man and creation, between man and God, between man and woman? Uh, what's the relationship between the earth and and the sky? <laughs> you know, and the birds and the fish. It, it, it orders everything relationally, not scientifically. See, and then I think part of that is we have this predisposition to read uh, these texts through our burdens or our 20th century, 21st century uh, way of looking at things. Um, when the psalmist or the, the, you know, Moses, you know, the author of the Torah is seeing uh, this relationally with respect to God, it's, it's answering the question, who am I with respect to the universe? Who am I with respect to God? Who am I, period? Uh, and, and so I think when you, when you bring that lens, you begin to see different things. Um, I, would, I would say, and I'm not excluding other readings here, but I would say read Genesis 1 liturgically too. You know, it has that same repetitive business of, there was evening, there was morning, the first day, the second day, the third day. That has that same kind of rhythm. I, it's not a coincidence that a liturgical psalm will pick up on a liturgical text from Torah. Uh, it's not a coincidence that John does the same thing in his gospel, where he begins the gospel of Jesus Christ with creation. In the beginning was the Word. You know, that's how important creation is in the proclamation of the gospel, it's foundational, but, but not in the scientific details that we're so worried about, but in the relational aspects of it. There was, and this really brings to light because I'm, 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 I'm more of, I, I love movies. And so I, I always think about like concentered in theatrical movie settings. And what sticks in my mind is the, uh, there was a movie called Son of God that came out, boy, probably 10 years ago now, maybe around there, where it talked about in the beginning, and it was based on John, it, John, the word became flesh. And then it talked about in the beginning, and it slowly went through creation and showed that kind of liturgical understanding of everything from the beginning, even showing uh, uh, Adam being like created out of the mud kind of language. And it was good. It was continuous uh, looking at that. At the same time, I remember when I worked at a camp in upstate New York and, and working at that camp, they had a theater week and they had the kids go through the, the creation account and then they would say, and it was good. And then, you know, the, the, the uh, narrator would then say, and it was good. And that was the first day the kids would respond. And it's very much so a visual relational piece that shows God's love. It's, it's something very... Um, very vivid as you presented that to us today about the love that is shown relationally through this creation reality. And that's, that's very helpful, uh, Pastor Swirla. Any, anything else you want to focus on creation before we move forward into redemption? Well, you know, I have that same sense that you described um, at the Easter vigil in our congregation. Uh, we always did the, the Saturday night Easter vigil. And one of the readings, the first reading is Genesis 1. 
uh, to two to two four. The first of the most unfortunate chapter divisions in the Bible. But but uh, you know, so it's the seven days, and uh, when it's read in the context of the vigil, and and I encourage you read it out loud, read it liturgically, read it prayerfully, and see what pops out because you just you just emphasize something there. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Um, by by this this repetition, this oral repetition. We are, it's being drummed into our heads that everything that we see, everything that we pick up, the entire material universe is good because God, God spoke it into being. It's, it's God's work. It's good. In the same way, Psalm 136, it's being drilled into our heads. His steadfast love endures forever. See, this is what repetition will do for you. Uh, it's not, you know, <laughs> your vain repetition, you know, we're supposed to avoid that in prayer. Bad translation, by the way, uh, should translate it mindless babbling. Uh, it's not, it's not repeating things. The Bible loves repetition. Psalm 136 is the poster child for repetition in liturgy. Say it over and over and over again. Maybe you will begin to believe it right? <laughs> His steadfast love endures forever. You need to keep saying that over and over and over because your eyes and your reason and your senses will testify otherwise that His steadfast love endures and I want forever. To more, and I want to touch on that more a little bit after our break. Right now, we need to take our break. We are studying and praying Psalm 136 with Pastor Bill Swirla, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 136 with Pastor Bill Swirla. And Pastor, I, I really appreciate that that understanding of repetition being important. This is why we will uh, have our young people memorize parts of the catechism. There's a repetition that comes there. There's a lot of parts of our liturgy, as we mentioned before, that we continually repeat. And I think about this. I remember uh, a while ago, I was at a college Bible study, and we were going through the basic gospel of understanding, okay, what is the gospel? Because a lot of times we just kind of get lost in people saying gospel and never actually hearing what it is. And so we went through it basic and basic and basic. And at the end of it, one of the young ladies, wonderful young lady said, well, I don't know if I believe it. And one of the other workers there was a DCE who worked in that, in that ministry. She said, just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that God's love is not for you. And that, that is where that's the kind of response we have. And I feel like that's what the Psalm is doing is like, well, I'm not sure if I know that God loves me. Well, here it is. Let me tell you and show you why. And, and it continually repeats it into our mind because how many times do I need to be reminded I'm loved by my parents, loved by my 
by my, my bride, but loved by my children, loved by others, even the congregation, that we need that. And the psalmist really hits that over, over the head over and over and darn it, I need it. So I'm, I'm, thank you for that, that emphasis. Other thoughts before we move on from the first nine verses, pastor. I, it, it occurs to me, uh, well, two thoughts, one on, on that point that you made is that, um, in, first of all, the Psalms were always communal. They were congregational, see, and, and we do a service, uh, to one another as we pray out loud, his steadfast love endures forever. We are preaching into one another's ears. So imagine the congregation member who has suffered great loss or maybe is suffering, uh, who is given to doubt God's chesed, his steadfast love, that God loves it all, that there is a God, uh, you know, and circumstances in life can lead one to doubt God's steadfast love. But here your fellow, your fellow congregants, your fellow worshipers are there uh, speaking this into your ears, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. You must hear this. And in hearing it, you will believe it, you know, but, but you must hear this. And so that's the value of, of this kind of congregational praying of, in, in psalms like this. And the repetition of that liturgical psalm is that it drills into us the thing that we must believe, sometimes in spite of what we see in spite of what we experience. And so it's lifting up also the weak among us who can't say uh, wholeheartedly his love endures forever because they're not experiencing that love in a direct sort of way, but they have to hear it and they, have, they speak it along with us. It's vitally important to faith. Um, the second point was, I think I, I figured out why sun, moon, and stars were the, the star attraction here. Because when you get to life, Life is born and dies. So the fish, the birds, uh, the beasts, us, we, we were born and we die. And so you don't have that abiding endurance. You don't have that, that sense of transcendence, of eternality. But when you look at the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, you see a kind of a consistency, a regularity, a predictableness. You know, the sun always rises. The moon is always there. The phases of the moon, the constellations, uh, the, there's an orderliness to that, that whole thing. And so that's a, that's a really good place to be looking when you want to ponder his steadfast love endures forever. Just a thought. I don't know. Well, as you are in Washington and it's beautiful and you can look at the sun actually today and tonight, hopefully be able to see the moon. What a great opportunity for wherever you are, our listeners, and for Pastor Swirla as he now lives in Washington to be able to enjoy God's steadfast love as we look at those uh, wonderful parts of creation. So I'm ready to move on, Pastor. I was thinking of going verses 10 through 16 as it speaks about the Israelites. Uh, what thoughts on that? Good call. All right, let's do it. Verses 10 through 16. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. One of the other joys, not only does it repeat the steadfast love of the Lord, it also repeats what I would call to be great uh, stories we learn in Sunday school or from our parents or even in culture, uh, watching a little bit of Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or something like that, that it, it brings it back into our minds, it sinks in a different way. And then not only do you see the Red Sea, but you also see that also as an act of love. What are your thoughts on, on following the Israelites' path into the wilderness? So you have the second leg, the second pillar of praise, that is redemption. And the great redemptive act in the Torah is Exodus. You know, if you were to give this, this stanza just a one-word title, it would be the Exodus, right? And that's the, the event that Israel always looked back on as it looked forward. So you, when you, the Old Testament Israelite always looked back to the Exodus, that was God's great redemptive act by which he liberated and saved his people. And you look then forward. And so your, your future was tied to that past act, just as we as Christians look back on the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's our Exodus event, see? And, and looking back to that event, then we look forward and our future is defined by that past event. And so uh, the psalmist here just hits on uh, enough, enough checkpoints so you get the point. You know, the firstborn, you have the, the, uh, the final night, the big night of the Exodus and the Passover. Uh, you have the sea, the parting of the sea. So you have the great baptismal act of uh, the Exodus and the drowning of Pharaoh and the, the safety and the, the, uh, the, the liberation of God's people, their birth as a nation, and also his care of them as he leads them through wilderness to promised land. Now, promised land comes in the next stanza, but, uh, but, but this is this is the Exodus stanza and the great redemptive act uh, that forms Israel. And so I, I like how you said that that we look to the past of God's actions, and we then we are able to look even more to the future with hope because we've seen how He's operated in the past, and we see then we know get a glimpse of how He'll operate into the future. Um, and, and for me, that's, that's a good way to, I love history. And so it's good for me to look at history in that way, but it also can be kind of a, a frustrating thing to look at. So I, I, I struggle when I look at that is, okay, we see the highlights, but then we don't necessarily see everything that occurred. Um, so that, that, I don't know, I'm, I'm just thinking through this a little bit in my brain. So any, any thoughts on, any other thoughts on, on the Israelites and their journey in God's love that, that's kind of the thread that goes through it all? I think sometimes today, just as we, we, we bias our reading and understanding of creation by our scientific way of looking at things, I think we bias or we, we miss the importance of the Exodus in, in the, the life of Israel of the Old Testament. And I think it's biased because of more the geopolitical interest of Israel today and, and everything else. You know, when we hear Israel, we tend to think of the modern state of Israel, uh, you know, and that's kind of in the center of, 
things in the Middle East, but that's not the Israel that the Bible is speaking of. And, and for the Old Testament, Israel's identity, its existence and identity are completely tied up in the events of the Exodus. The Passover, the, the passage through blood, the passage through water. It's, it's water and blood that formed them as a nation, see? And, and so the, the annual repetitive feast of the Passover was a, a, a feast that not only reminded the Israelite of who he or she was, but incorporated that person into the, into the, the narrative, into the salvation history of Israel. So I think we sometimes uh, just, we make the, the Passover or the Red Sea or that into just kind of little historic checkpoints or little events in history, but they're not, they're bigger than that. They're bigger than historical events. These are formative. These are sacramental events. And then it forms what we do in the same way, like you said, sacramentally, that we are able to see what they did, what happened then, and then that forms how we, therefore, live as we see the clearer picture it with Jesus and the New Testament and how that operates. That, that's very helpful, Pastor Swirla, as we look at it not only um, historically, which I tend to do, uh, I look at it and scientifically, his, historically, okay, creation, it happened this way, boom, 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 boom. Isn't that great? Awesome. Okay, let's move on. This happened, this happened, this happened. And then we get to this point, as opposed to seeing the depth of God's love and the midst of all of it, that, that is something, oh, my, I'm a little bit uh, overwhelmed right now, so I don't know if I can finish a program. No, um, anyways, so as we look at it, Pastor, anything else before we move on to the next section? Well, I, it's, it's, you know, we could, we could spend lots of time, but I, I think just to get the fullness of the Psalm, we probably should just keep pressing and then we can, we can look back at the whole thing. All right. I'll go 17 through 22 to him who struck down great Kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty Kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon King of the Amorites for his steadfast love endures forever and Og, the king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, this makes it a little bit harder as we look at the steadfast love of the Lord, because now it's talking about the destruction, or more so, I should say, there is destruction in the prior verses, but the destruction of kings and people, and then saying his steadfast love endures forever. How do we bring this together as Christians as we look at what he has to say? Well, if, if I were to give this stanza a title, I would call it Promised Land. So the previous stanza was the Exodus. This is the entry into the promised land and the giving over of the land, which belonged to others, to Og and Sion and the whole bunch. But, but, uh, God made a promise to Father Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land. See, and his chesed is, is covenant love. It's, it's based on covenant, on promise. And so, the, you know, the land is the, is, if you will, it's the sacrament of the promise. They, they possess the land because God promised that they would possess this land. And so, uh, whereas the, the means by which this came about was rather violent and bloody, uh, 
we should note, I suppose, that the means by which we are saved from sin, death, and hell is also rather bloody. Uh, and, you know, Good Friday is not, not, uh, not a walk in the park. The, uh, this is all inherent in God's steadfast love, that, that the conquest of the land and the taking possession of the land is not through any merit or worthiness on the part of the Israelites. They certainly weren't. Uh, but it's based on God's promise. He promised them this. And, and so uh, this land is, is the, the concrete evidence under their feet that his steadfast love endures forever. I found it interesting, and maybe I'm nitpicking again, but I did find it interesting of how the scriptures are connected because you have Sihon, uh, the king of the Amorites, which points us to, and both of them actually, Sihon and Og, point us to Numbers 21, uh, in verses 21 through 26, 31 to 35, that as the Israelites were on their way to the promised land, both, uh, both of these kings kind of said, well, we don't, want, we don't want you to be in our land. We want you to pass somewhere else. And, and, and we, you know, there was a battle between them of the Amorites and, and the uh, Shan and those people as well. So it, I, I found it interesting that he highlighted those. Any thoughts on that? Or obviously there's that connection of to get to the promised land, they had to go through those, that, that land. But I found it interesting that he highlighted those two. Any thoughts? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll take it from this angle. In, in liturgical speech, um, the implicit is actually more important than the explicit. Uh, because it gives the worshiper something to think about on the way home. Uh, this is what's wrong with these liturgies that like tell you everything and leave nothing to the imagination, see. Uh, and so he could have talked about Jericho. He could have talked about Gideon. He could have talked about Joshua. Uh, he could have recited the entire book of Joshua and Judges, for that matter. But we probably want to skip over the book of Judges. But, but, uh, but certainly... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua, you know, and all these great conquest wars that are going on. But instead, he just alludes to all of this with their initial victory. This was, this was a kind of a pre-victory uh, where Og and, and Sion are defeated uh, in spite of the fact that the Israelites are doubting that they have the strength to take over the promised land. Remember the big incident where they send the spies and they said, there's giants in there. We're, no, there's no way, you know, which resulted in a 40-year uh, sabbatical in the wilderness. Uh, but the, uh, that's, that's the initial conquest. It's kind of a pre-conquest, and that's enough. See, in the Israelite memory, that's enough to trigger the entire, the entire history of, of really the book of, of Joshua at that point. But... Uh, but and and it's also in the Torah, uh, everything everything outside of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy uh, is a commentary on the Torah. Let's <laughs> see. So uh, it, I think it's appropriate and fitting that that uh, that comes from the Book of Numbers. And so as we look at those verses, it I really appreciate as well how you highlighted the bloodiness of this. The, the journey to Israel, and we keep in light of the blood of Jesus. Because I remember somebody, I was at a youth, a youth event once again, and <laughs> at this youth event, one of the kids goes, why is there so much blood in the Old Testament? There's so much war and death. 
And I remember a pastor very calmly saying, you know, this was always pointing us to the blood of Jesus. And I think that's a very important dynamic for us to remember because we can have a tendency to look at Good Friday uh, through the lens of, of unicorns and puppies or something, as opposed to looking for what it really was. And then we do the same kind of filtering in the Old Testament and act as if everything was, was just kind of getting better and better and better. Then Jesus came and it all was fulfilled and we're good, as opposed to the reality of the blood, but yet ultimately to the blood of Jesus. Any, any thoughts on that pastorally and, and how to make sure that people are able to see it through the correct lens of the cross? Well, re redemption is a bloody mess. There, there's just no, no way around this. And even implicit in chesed and steadfast love is covenant, and the covenants are always sealed with blood. You cannot get away from the blood. You know, and you, you, can't, you can't just turn your, your faith into some sort of uh, abstract Gnostic religion where, where it's just all spiritualized and there's no gore. Uh, th this, uh, you know, in, in the creation, God has mud under his fingernails. He's, 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 he's in the mud. He's mucking around in the mud, you know, and, and in, in uh, the same in redemption, uh, this, is, this is the God who takes on flesh and dies a bloody death. And the Old Testament really is just chapter for chapter pointing in that direction that redemption is a bloody mess. I'm going to write that down. That's going to be a title of my sermon this weekend. Redemption is a bloody, <laughs> not sure how I'm going to put it into it, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be good stuff. Anyways, let's move on, Pastor. About eight, eight minutes of our time left here. And I think what I'll do is I'll just read the rest of our time. Uh, verses 23 through 26. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He, he who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, as we look at this last section, you've kind of had a little bit of a, an overview of each section. How would you uh, give a summary of these verses to end, end uh, Psalm 136? Well, the, the last section, 23 through 25, you have the three verses that kind of as structurally correspond to that triad that began the psalm. You know, give thanks to Yahweh, give thanks to God of gods, the Lord of lords. And now you have a threefold, um, you have a, a triad that concludes it, which is a triad of works. Uh, he remembers us in our lowest state. I hear an echo of the Magnificat, Mary's song in there, right? Uh, so he's the God who remembers. He's the God who rescues. He rescued us from our foes. He's the God who provides. He gives food to all flesh. So you have, you, you have a triad of God's works uh, that kind of roughly, not in a correspondence, but, but it, it, it has the same uh, structuralness of the uh, first three verses. And then that last verse is just kind of, in case you miss the point, <laughs> give thanks to the God of heaven. A new title. We had God of gods, Lord of lords, now God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's just kind of the, a little coda, a little last verse, just to, just to bring it home to completion. So, you know, you, you see a really nice structural, um, the 
kind of, there's a nice structure to this psalm. I feel like there's a, a, a way that, as I'm seeing this really play out, one, we have the identity of who God is, God of God, Lord of Lords, God of heaven, God is good. Um, you have that proclamation of that. And then you, he points us outward to look at creation and say, this is where we see God's love. We look past in the past to see God's love. And then it's like this laser focus in 23 through 25 to say, now see how God's love is manifested in your daily vocations. There it is that, that he, he remembers you. He, his, he, he rescues you from enemies. He provides for you. Um, those, all of that. And it's something that I really find interesting, like from 30,000 feet down to our, my own dinner table is how the psalmist brings it all together for us. And any thoughts on, on that or other themes you want to highlight as we almost are to the end of our time? You know, that's a great, that's a great point that you just made is that a lot of times in a sermon, you know, we will speak about the doctrine of this, the con doctrinal content of the sermon, or we'll retell the story and, uh, and maybe, you know, f flash our knowledge of Greek and, and the history and everything else. But at some point, in order for it to be a sermon, it has to get down to the for you. It has to get down to what, what, how does this apply to us? Is what does this have to do with us? And those, those three verses, that triad, are us verses. The rest was history. This is what he did in the Exodus. This is what he did in the conquest. This is what he did in the beginning, in creation. But this is, this is bringing it home to us now. He remembers us. He remembers us. Not Moses, us in our lowest state. Uh, he rescues us from our foes, our present tense foes here and now. And he gives us, as you said, he puts food on our table and gives food to all flesh. So that's the, that's the bringing it home to the hearer to the one who's praying. And, and so, so this is really the faith point now. Everything else is, is just a matter of fact, but this is a matter of faith. And Pastor, as, as you think of this, uh, even though you retired from parish ministry, that as you continue to serve the Lord and have served the Lord, what would be a good time that you would encourage someone to read this psalm, let's say for the individual, we talked a little bit about uh, corporately, or for the individual or for the Christian, when would be a good time for them to dig into this psalm? <laughs> Every time is a good time to dig into a psalm. Uh, the, this one, as a, this is a general use one. I would, I would, I would turn to this one. I, here's where I would turn to this one. I would turn to this one at times of great thanksgiving. When, when, you know, my heart is over, overflowing with praise and thanksgiving, uh, because this anchors my th praise and thanksgiving with God's people and his, his creative and redemptive acts. But I would also, I think, break out the psalm when I'm like that girl you described in the retreat, the, the one for whatever reasons uh, doubts that his steadfast love endures forever. That's when I'd go back to the psalm and say it out loud. Say it out loud many times. Maybe find a, 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 a Christian friend to say it with. And uh, I'll say the his steadfast love endures forever part while somebody else recites to me why I believe this. See, and, and, and then if we know this, if we, if we lens it through the, the cross of Jesus, then we, we hear these creative and redemptive acts uh, not only as, as through the lens of Moses, but now we understand 
even further that these creative acts are the acts of the word incarnate, our savior, Jesus Christ, that these redemptive acts are all previews of that great redemptive act of his death and resurrection on the cross. His steadfast love endures forever. Pastor Bill Swirla helping us to pray and to study and pray Psalm 136. Pastor, thank you for bringing his gifts. Saints of our Lord, keep praying. We pray knowing that his steadfast love endures forever. He made everything, saved the Israelites. He redeemed the Israelites. He remembers us and he rescues us as well. And so we go from the 30,000 feet view of God's love straight to our dinner table as we surrounded by those whom we love, knowing it is the Lord who loves us. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.